Uh, We're going to get into the word now, and I'm going to pray for us. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for the gift of children, Lord, and how you've blessed so many families here, Lord. And I pray, I pray for those families, Lord, who are thinking, who are trying, who desire children, that your grace would be with them, God. That your grace would be upon them and you would give them the desires of their hearts. Lord, I know that we all come in this room with different things on our minds, different things in our, in our hearts. Lord, some come in troubled, and some come in on the mountaintop. But wherever we are, Lord, we know that you are, you are our God, and you love us, and that you will, you will be with us during whatever times, whatever situation, whatever experience we're walking through. We want to thank you for that. And thank you for your word. Thank you that you've caused this word to be written, and that we can have it today. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so we've been working through, working through, yeah, two sermons. We haven't worked too through it. Uh, the John, First John, this letter that was written to a bunch of people who are going through some difficult times. Last week, we just, we got right into the letter, uh, verses one and two in the first, uh, the first chapter. And we notice that John doesn't give any warm, fuzzy intro. He doesn't give a warm, fuzzy greeting. He doesn't even, he doesn't even uh, talk to the people. I mean, he doesn't, what's the word? I'm like, identify, that's the word. Identify the people that he's speaking to. He doesn't even identify himself. He just launches right into the message. He launches right into what he wants people to know. And he's not philosophizing. He's not meditating. He's not passing down some information that was passed down to him from another person who got it and another person through the chain of of the oral tradition. He is reporting. He is declaring on what he has seen, what he has heard, what he has touched, the things that he has wrestled with. He is proclaiming that to these people, this first-hand experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to share it. He tells him, I've seen him. I've walked with him. I've touched him. I've heard him. I've seen the miracles. And now I want to tell you the truth of what I've seen. And so then as we move into the third verse of chapter 1, John is going to speak a very big idea. I would... Maybe that's a, bad, that's a bad way to put it. I think it goes beyond idea. He's going to introduce to us a theme of not only his letter, but I think a theme that runs through the entire New Testament. And it's this idea of, of fellowship. Fellowship that we can have with each other. Fellowship that we can have with God. And fellowship that we can have with Christ. Okay, and I'll get this one. And fellowship that we can have with God through Christ. He covers all the bases. And he's going to introduce this idea because it's, 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 something worth, it's something worth thinking about. It's something worth stewing over. It's a profound truth for our church, for any church, for all Jesus followers, that we can be in fellowship with God himself, with Christ. And Webster, Webster defines fellowship as... Um, How's he define it? People in relationship who have similar interests and similar focus. 
people in relationship who have similar interests and similar focus. And so that means you and I, a collective we, can be in relationship with God and and have a similar focus as God, be moving in the same direction as God. We can be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to get right into the text. Steve, would you put it up there? And I'm going to I'm going to read the first I'm going to read the first two verses just to put this in context. And we looked at this last week. So this is John uh, chapter 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And then our verse for this morning. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, as, as I've studied this letter and I've studied kind of some of the background of it, I have found that many people have wrestled over this entire letter. And many people have wrestled over this, uh, this theme of fellowship with God. And, and so as... As John introduces this relationship that we can have with each other and relationship that we have with God and Christ, I believe that we have to, we have to enter into this idea uh, kind of carefully because we always want to make sure that grace is our guide. Grace is our foundation. Now, the reality of this relationship that we have is a very basic idea in the, in the New Testament. And it's also one of the most profound, amazing truths that run through the entire Bible. I, I have this sense in my spirit that, that every doctrine, every theology points us in this direction that we can be in relationship, intimate, deep relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Everything moves us into that direction. We come face to face with that reality as we, as we look through the scripture. As we, especially as we read what Jesus came to, to, to reveal to us about who God is. And so I really believe that we need to kind of rest here. We need to kind of explore this verse, unpack it a little bit, and, and just take some time and kind of, kind of figure this out. What's, what's this, what seems to be something so simple, and it is, but yet it holds such weight for us. Now remember John is writing. He's writing this letter. Uh, he's an old man by now, and he's writing to the whole gamut of people. He's writing to the old, he's writing to the middle aged. he's writing to the young. In fact, we'll see in chapter 2 that he will address them separately. And he knows what's going on in their lives. He knows the brokenness that they've experienced in life just in general, like the brokenness that we experience, the hurts, the pains, the mountaintops, the valleys, all of that stuff. And he knows what's going on in the church. He knows that there's this group of people that are preaching a false gospel in the church. He knows how, what tension that is causing for the people that are, that are still left. And they're starting to doubt their faith or doubt who Christ is. He, he, he has all of this in mind as, as he's writing. And what he wants to do is encourage them. He wants to build them up in the truth 
of what and who Jesus Christ is. And so he begins the first two verses. He begins with the incarnation. When God himself came to earth as Jesus Christ and he walked with us and he talked and he taught and he performed miracles and he was nailed to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and he rose from the dead. And he rose not as a spirit, but he rose physically. He rose with flesh and blood and bones. He rose breathing and eating and drinking. And the whole purpose of why he came was to bring life. To bring eternal life. Life in abundance. And I know we briefly touched on that idea of eternal life last week. And what I like to do is spend some time this morning kind of unpacking that just a little bit more and a little bit deeper. Now remember, eternal eternal life is not just about a duration of time. That is one aspect of it, but that's, that's not all there is. And since our understanding of time is, is a little limited, our understanding of eternal is a little limited. See, eternal didn't start and then goes on forever from, from there. Eternal has always been. It doesn't have a beginning. It's just always, it's always been there. And so eternal life stands to reason that it's always, it's always kind of been there and we're called, we're invited to enter, enter into it. But there's something much deeper than even just this idea of duration. When we talk about eternal life, we're talking about a certain quality of life. And this quality of life, it's not some bar that we need to try to leap over. It's not just a bunch of hoops that we need to jump through. Eternal life, the quality of it, is offered to us through Jesus. That we can embrace it and that we can walk in it and we can live in it today and every day. You know, our lives... As, as we live this life here and, and, and all the senses and, and we're talking with each other and we're aware, we live in this, this idea of time. But this, this, is, this is all temporary. This, this is not going to last forever. At, at some point, all of us will no longer live in this definition of time. We will all experience death. It's, it's just part of, part of living, physical death, where our bodies will cease to function as they're functioning now. In a literal sense, in a literal sense, I think that we are living a living death. <laughs> Which I must admit sounds a little bit more morbid now that I've actually heard it come out of my mouth. Um, but, 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 I mean, it, it's true nonetheless. This, this body will die one day. And I will, I think I'm going to be cremated. I think that's what we've decided. The whole ground thing gets me a little freaked out. But then I worry about coming back. Will I come back like all in ashes or what? I, I don't know. But I digress. I got to work that out, me and God. Um, but, but we are all going, we all going to die one day. And the reality that we know now will soon end. But we're still living this life. We are still here for a reason. It's not by chance. It's not to torture us. And I believe with all of my heart that if we remove God from the physical life that we have now, I, I don't think we, we have life anymore. But we have an existence. And li- living and existing are two very different things. Very different things. And so God, through Christ, offers us eternal life. Both a, a duration of time... 
an equality of this life. In John chapter 17, in John's gospel, chapter 17, he's recording Jesus as Jesus is praying. And this is what Jesus says about eternal life. He says, now this is eternal life. These are the words of Jesus. That they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is Jesus speaking. He's praying. Now this is eternal life. That they would, they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. See, eternal life has always been, will always be, has always been about our relationship with God through Christ. It's always been that, and it will always be that. And those who put their faith in Christ can enter into the truth of this duration, this forever with God. But those who put their faith in Christ can also enter in a a certain quality of life, a sacred, holy, divine quality of life that we can live today, here and now. And John reiterates, we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. That you can be in relationship with us. That you can share in relationship with us. And our relationship is with the Father and with his Son. John is inviting us into this eternal life for here and now. He's saying, man, the very thing that I have, the very thing that I've experienced, you can have it too. It's, it's, it's yours. It's, you can have the very thing that John, a disciple who walked with Christ, had in all of its fullness. John says, man, I've been there. I worked out all those issues. I figured it out. And I realized that we have heard something and experienced something very special. It's a game changer. And it's sacred beyond anything we've ever known. And he wants people not only to know about it, but to receive it. He wants people to have the same thing in all of its fullness. And he would not have that desire for us, for those people, unless it was possible Unless it was all in. John's not offering scraps. He's not offering second place. He's offering the very same thing as a man who walked side by side with Christ. We can know and experience that same thing. And so I had started to ask myself, well, I mean, okay, this idea of eternal life, the quality of life, but, but what else is there in this? What is he talking about, this experience, this fellowship? What is this faith in Jesus all about? What does it mean? I think the beginning of it is, first of all, you Christian, we talked about it two weeks ago, that we know who we are. Chapter 5, verse 19, John says, we know we are children of God. But I think it goes, I think it even pushes beyond that. That we would know what we possess in Christ, what we have. John says, I know what I have and I want to share it with you. I want you to know the same thing. I want you to have the same thing. You see, if, if, if we don't know what we actually have, then how can we share it with other people and tell them that they would, we really would like them to have what we have if we don't know what we have? You know, one of the reasons I, I truly believe that Jesus followers don't share the truth of Christ or share Jesus is because they're afraid of that, that one little question that that person's going to ask. That one little question, how can you be sure? How can you be sure? 
And for some, they're new to the faith and they don't know quite how to explain that. And for some, you're just lazy and you haven't pressed into Christ and you've just kind of not taken seriously this journey of faith. When we enter into fellowship with Christ, it's not based on anything that's vague or uncertain. It's based on something that's well-documented and well-defined. As Jesus followers, we should know who we are. As Jesus followers, we should know we should know what we possess because we're pressing into God through Christ. We're pressing into that relationship. We should be in prayer. We should be men and women of prayer. We should be in the scriptures. We should be men and women who are in the scriptures. We need to be with each other. Because we can't live this faith by ourselves. We need each other. But this is what we, and, and, and we don't, and I'm shooting all over you, not because we're trying to earn something, but because we've already been given it. We've already been given this idea of eternal life. And we want to engage it deeper to know more of Christ and to walk deeply in the gift. Not to earn, but to just walk and be. John wants us to share in his own intimate experience. And how can someone share something with someone else if they're not sure what they're sharing? And what he's sharing is really eternal life, salvation, and the assurance of it. If you're not sure of your own salvation, there is a possibility, and I'm not, I don't want to freak anybody out. Okay, maybe I do want to freak you out. There is the possibility, if you're unsure of your salvation, you, just might, you might not be saved. If, you are, if you're searching and seeking for the truth, it stands to reason in that, that you haven't found the truth yet. And the scriptures tell us the truth is Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He doesn't represent the truth. He is the truth. And so if you're still searching, that means you haven't found it yet. And John wants us. And okay, maybe, maybe when he wrote this, he didn't have Oasis Church 2014 in America on his mind. But God did. God knew that we would be here wrestling with this scripture this very day. And he wants us to know that we can have the same quality of life that John experienced and that we can enter into eternal life. That, that, that moment when we are with God forever. John is not seeking. He's not striving. He's not hoping. He's being. He's resting. He knows. A Christian is not somebody who hopes to be saved, who hopes to get this life. A Christian is a person who's experienced it, who's received it and continues to receive it. And if you're not there, if you're not there yet, I am so glad you are here. I am so happy that you are here today because today I proclaim to you the same thing John proclaimed thousands of years ago to these people. You can receive it. You can have it. You can be absolutely sure of what you possess in Christ. It's yours. You can receive this, take possession of it through faith by his grace. It's God's offering, his promise.
Now, let me, let me kind of talk to my brothers and sisters who I might have rattled your cage a little bit. I am not saying that you cannot be a Jesus follower unless you are 100% sure that you are saved. Because if that were the case, then it would make it all about you. And it's not about you. It's always been about God. It's always been about his grace. It's always been about Christ. I'm not saying that the enemy is always, he is always on the attack, trying to sow seeds of doubt in our mind. Trying to get us to think that God will never forgive that. God will never let you in. God cannot save you. It's a lie from the enemy, but that's still, man, it's powerful for some of us. But what I'm saying is if you, if you, if you lack that assurance, then, then it's hard to be bold with your faith. If you lack that assurance, it's hard to live your faith out loud like the saints of old have done and the things that they've written. If you lack that assurance, you would never allow yourself to be nailed to the stake and burned alive as many have, many have suffered for the name of Christ. But here's the good news. It is by grace we have been saved. It is by grace we have been saved. And thank God in his infinite mercy, he still leaves room for our immaturity in the areas of our faith. And so complete assurance is not essential to your salvation. But I will say this. There could be no real deep, lasting joy in your salvation. There could be no real deep, lasting joy in our posture with Christ. And we're going to talk about joy next week. But there cannot be that joy if we carry in us an uncertainty of who we are and what we have in Jesus. So as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we mature in our faith and we become sure of who we are, we become sure of what we possess, we end up having this burning desire in us that other people would have what we have. It's, it's, it's a burning desire within us that other people possess what we have. John, John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And why? Why is he proclaiming it? So that you also may have fellowship with us. John has a desire for these people to, to share in what he has, what he knows. So that we can be in relationship with each other, with God, and with Christ. And so as we become sure, there's that, there's that desire, that longing in us that, we, that, that other people have what we have, know what we know, experience the things that we experience. Now, I have to say this about that. This does not give you permission to be a Christian jerk. Just laying it out there. This does not give you permission to be one of those Christians, those kind of self-righteous, arrogant, know-it-alls who actually don't know anything about the gospel itself. John starts by proclaiming his own experience, sharing what God has done in his life. 
He shares what he has experienced personally. And he's, and, and it's, man, it's, it's affected me to the point where I have to share it with you. He doesn't, he doesn't start this letter by saying, all right, listen up all you backsliding pagan knuckleheads. If you don't get a hold of this, if you don't get a hold of this, you're going to be lucky just to rot in hell and stay away from the flames that are going to burn you for eternity. That's not the way he starts the letter. Now, maybe, maybe you've never heard somebody quite say it that way. I pined over those words to make sure they were just right. Maybe you have heard somebody say it that way. Maybe you've actually said it that way. And if you have, if that's your way of sharing the gospel, we have two policies here at Oasis. Policy number one, stop it. (laughs) Scaring people to heaven doesn't work. And the second policy, if you won't stop it, is please don't tell anybody you come here. (laughs) I'm serious. And I know that sounds extreme. You're going to burn in hell. And maybe you've said, you know, I would never use those words. I've never used those words. I've never heard anybody use those words. But too often, you okay? I love you guys. We'll see you next week. I am so sorry for you. I'm laughing. Hug. And then I think about six months later, I actually came to, you know. See, six months. She ran away for six. Come on, work with me. You just blew my whole thing out of the water here. She's the only one that's ever worked on. I'm telling you. She's the second one that had only worked on. I'm telling you. I was scared to Christ. But the policy still stands. Stop it. All right. I don't even know where I am now. It was awful, though. Jesus shouldn't be awful. All right, enough. I got the microphone, all right? <laughs> and so maybe those words have been spoken. But all too often, we go in with that attitude. And that's even just as dangerous. I'm going to win these people to Christ. You don't win anything. It's the Holy Spirit's work to convict and to lead people to Christ. We can share our story, but we don't win anything. It's the Holy Spirit. We, 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 we're a terrible Holy Spirits. And so John says, let me, let me tell you my story. Let me proclaim to you what I've experienced. You know, there's, there's something very special and something very sacred about a person who becomes fully aware that they have the very divine nature of Christ living in them. There's something, there's something about a person when their, their interior posture is one of joy, knowing that they have been set free from the brokenness that life has thrown at them. Set free from 
from addiction and anger and, and self-doubt and self-hatred and, and lust and anxiety and depressions. I mean, just, just set free from those things. There's something about a person who knows that for sure. There's something about a person who has been set free from that sin that entangles us, that, that temptation to put something other than God first place in our life. There's something sacred and holy about a person who, who no longer walks in darkness, but walks in the light of Christ. There's a confidence, an inner confidence that a person carries with them when they know without a doubt that death is not the final chapter and that we can live forever with God in Jesus Christ. There's something about a person that, that, that just, there's something in them that you can, almost, you can almost feel when they walk in that assurance. And people who have experienced those things have a deep desire for other people to experience them. And those conversations don't start off with, yo, you're going to end up in hell. Maybe they do. If you've experienced any of those things in any measure, you have experienced eternal life. Here and now. Those types of things will take place every day in, in even deepening degrees as we walk with Christ. As we engage. As we, as we mature in our faith. As we allow the Holy Spirit to mature us. Eternal life is not just for when you're dead it's for now. It's for today. And as we walk in this posture, as we walk in this journey of faith, do we ache for people to know and to have what we have? Do we, do we ache for people to share with us what we share with Christ, what we share with God? And you know, the, the, the beauty of it is because it's, because it's the foundation of the foundation is built on, on, on God. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if the, and the foundation is built there, then we all experience this holy, sacred, beautiful thing. We can, we can know what John knows. We can experience what John experienced today, thousands of years later. Because the experience is not based on some subjective truth. It's based on an objective truth. Our faith, our relationship is founded on an objective truth and not just, not just any truth. It's the same for all of us. And that truth is Christ and Christ alone. And that's it. It's as simple as that. And we who have entered into eternal life have done so because of the grace of God in our lives. Because of what Christ did on the cross. It's a free gift through faith. At least no person can boast. Christ in Christ alone. The same giver, the same gift. And we share in the same experience. And Because if we based it on us, if we, if we put, put this all on us and our efforts and our understanding and our theologies, then it would just become about us. And it's not about us. And, and, and if it becomes about us, then it's bankrupt of any sacred meaning. The only reason why we experience the sacred and the holy and the divine is because 
The spirit of God lives in us. Without that, we got nothing. And yeah, you know, those experiences that we've had, they, they may be different. They may, they may have different flavors, different colors. But when it comes right down to it, freedom, freedom is freedom. Whether it be freedom from an addiction or anxiety or depression, lust, freedom, freedom is freedom. And wholeness is wholeness. No matter what has shattered your life into a thousand different pieces or a million different pieces, getting, getting put back together again and being whole is being whole. It's the same thing for everyone. And darkness, the darkness of this, this world that we can experience, it can come at us in many different ways. But I will say that darkness is the same color for all of us. But when we walk into that light, that, that glorious, redeeming light, it is always the light of Christ. And we experience the same thing. John is saying, you know, yeah, you, you may never have seen him. You may never have heard him. You may never have touched him. But I'm telling you, you can experience the very thing that I've experienced. You can know the very thing that I know. You can have eternal life in all of its fullness in Christ. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel, the gospel is, is, it's offered to everyone. And the gospel has been the same yesterday, today, and it will be the same forever. Lord, I want to thank you that this truth is profoundly simple, yet so joyous. Thank you that we can know you in ways that we don't even know yet. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to each one of us in deeper measures. That we would be sure of who we are. That we would be sure of what we possess. And that we would want to share that with the world. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Continue to pray for the new moms.